young. I am 20 years old, yet I know nothing of life but despair, death, fear, and fatuous superficiality cast over an abyss of sorrow. I see how peoples are set against one another, and in silence, unknowingly, foolishly, obediently, innocently slay one another. Welcome back to the Finest Hours podcast. That was an introduction by our friend Skylar Williams. Hello, Skylar. Thank you for that intro. Of course. Hello, everybody. Happy to be back sharing a, another episode. Um, going to give you some context on that quote that Skylar entered entered the episode with. One of the top films of 2022 was Netflix's All Quiet on the Western Front, which won four Oscars. The book was first adapted into a film in 1930, a year after the book's release. The quote that Skylar introduced the top of the episode with is an excerpt from the novel by the same name. The book first published in 1929 sold about 40 million copies worldwide. The book was translated into 22 different languages within the first 18 months of its release and was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize in print in 1931. The novel, while fictional, is based on the real-life experiences of the author, Erich Maria Remarque, during the First World War. Remarque is the subject of today's episode, a man who has lived a thrilling life and has influenced generations across all continents. Let's get into it. Who wants to uh, kick us off? Hayden, I think it's your turn to uh, yeah, I think it to is. chat. Our audience has missed you. Right on. So not only was our subject of today's episode an author, that's what he's most widely known for, but he was present in World War I, and that established a lot of his writing. So All Quiet on the Western Front is widely regarded as the best war novel of all time. The book is told through the perspective of a teenage boy named Paul Bomber, who enlists in the German army. Goaded by his school professor, the whole class of young men volunteer to enlist. Seeking an adventure, when they arrive at the Western Front, they are confronted by the horrors of war in the trenches. Remark opens the book with the following quote. This book is to be neither an accusation nor a confession, and least of all, an adventure. For death is not an adventure to those who stand face to face with it. The book is at its heart an anti-war novel, displaying in great detail the tragic waste that war can bring. All Quiet on the Western Front depicts the broad disillusionment of the time in Germany. The book shines a light on the realities of the Great War, a stark contrast to the lies told by the German government. In the book, protagonist Paul Bonner states... We loved our country as much as they. We went courageously into every action, but also we distinguished the false from true we had suddenly learned to see. It's a little too heavy to make jokes, so I don't know how much I'll be chiming in. We might Dude, it's hard. <laughs> it's a good one, but that's it's brutal. <laughs> we might be able to work some jokes into the episode, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a fairly serious one this time around because it's not exactly a light subject. 
So immediately after the book's release, it was faced with both praise and fierce opposition. The following was pulled from the Smithsonian article by Patrick Sauer. On December 5th, 1930, just over 12 years after the end of World War I, German moviegoers flocked to Berlin's Mozart Hall to see one of Hollywood's latest films. But during the movie, a cadre of 150 Nazi brown shirts, nearly all too young to have fought in World War I, were led into the theater by propagandist Joseph Goebbels. Spewing anti-Semitic invective at the screen, they repeatedly shouted, Joden film, as they tossed stink bombs from the balcony, threw sneezing powder in the air, and released white mice into the theater. A somewhat shocking turn of events considering the blockbuster novel that had transfixed the nation months earlier. It's a gritty pull-no-punches look at the horrors of war, limbs are lost, horses are destroyed, starving soldiers root through garbage for food, the troops are ravaged by poison gas and artillery bombs. If you make it out alive... Bomber himself dies on a tranquil day shortly before the armistice is signed. Apolitical in terms of policy and strategy, Remark's anti-war masterpiece tapped into the global sorrow following a conflict that led to more than 37 million casualties between 1914 and 1918. Ironically, it was this very humanity and relentless political agnosticism that made Goebbels see the all-quiet on the Western Front film as a threat to the Nazi ideology. Really paints the picture of how the Nazi party had felt about Remarque's anti-war book. And as you read this book, you get the chance to read it, you really see why they thought it was such a threat to their ideology. Unlike other war novels and films where there is nearly always a prominent hero figure, All Quiet features no such person. The protagonist of the story, Paul Bomber, watches as his friends die around him. At the end of the book, even Paul succumbs to the same fate, dying a pointless, unavoidable death on a relatively peaceful autumn day, one month before the armistice. The novel doesn't vilify any of the opposing armies of the Allied forces. Instead, it aims to vilify war itself. And it's this perspective that authoritarian states feared as detrimental to their ideology, resulting in bans of the book in Nazi Germany and elsewhere. Elsewhere being... In the United States Nazi at one Jew- point. Oh, really? For different reasons. It, mostly for mostly for violence. Yeah, it was it's been banned in the United States. You know that United States, they're they get real upset over violence. <laughs> American movies can have a lot of violence in them and like parents won't care. But if they have nudity in them, they're like way up in arms over that, you know? And the Europeans yeah. are like the opposite. Yeah. You know? The Europeans yeah. are like, yeah. there shouldn't be any blood, like, nobody should get hit on the head with a hammer. Nobody should be bludgeoned to death in a movie. Yeah. The (laughs) things that shock Americans don't shock the Europeans. It's interesting. So we've talked a lot about the book and kind of setting the tone of the background of the book and the importance of the book. Uh, Let's get more into Eric Miriam Remark himself. Hayden, do you want to kick us off? Yeah. So in November 1916... Uh, 18-year-old Eric Maria Remarque was drafted into the German army along with many of his schoolmates. After a short period of training, he was sent to the Western Front, where he took part in some of the most savage trench warfare in the war in Flanders, Belgium. During his active service, he was wounded no less than five times. One of Remarque's schoolmates, Theodor Trotsky, was wounded by a grenade. 
Remark carried the young man on his back through enemy fire to safety, only to find that when he laid him down, his friend was dead, fatally wounded by shrapnel to the head. This experience is mirrored by one of the characters in the novel. In 1917, while under active duty, his mother died of cancer. That same year, he was seriously injured in a British artillery assault. After a lengthy recovery process, he was called back into active duty in October 1918, though the war ended weeks after. Remark was uncertain about what he wanted to do with his life after the war. He had aspirations of becoming a concert pianist, though injuries to his legs during the war would deter him from doing so. He worked several different jobs over the next decade, including working as a racing car driver, teacher, librarian, sports writer, copywriter, and editor. One of these things is not like the other. One of them is of a different time. (laughs) (laughs) Which ones ones of a different time? The librarian? I was going to say teacher. (laughs) So this man couldn't play the piano because of his legs, but he could drive a race car. You know, that's an interesting point, actually, so, Skyler. Riddle me that. A racing yeah. car, not a race yeah. car. That's different. Yeah. This was no palindrome. You know, that's a good point. You know, racing car has a certain appeal that you might be willing to suffer through more than the piano. I don't know. I guess that's true. Good point. Who I wants to see a man I sweat c- through a piano recital? <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't find any additional information on his uh, racing car career, but I thought that was pretty cool. It's pretty sweet. So Remark battled depression in the decade after the Great War, which he eventually linked to his military trauma in the war after observing his fellow friends and acquaintances who had also served. Upon recognizing this connection, he began writing about his experiences. Remark said, The shadow of war hung over us, especially when we tried to shut our minds to it. The very day this thought struck me, I put pen to paper, without much in the way of prior thought. Six weeks later, the novel was finished. The novel was released in 1929 with great success, as previously mentioned. Uh, He began to establish himself as a young author. Remark was in Berlin in 1933 when Hitler was appointed Chancellor of Germany, That May, Nazis announced book bans of over 150 authors. Remark was included in that ban. On May 10th, they raided bookstores and libraries, throwing piles of books into over-rising fires. Ever-rising fires. Over-rising fires? All the fires. They were rising. The fires are rising. (laughs) (laughs) Though Remark was neither communist nor Jewish, he was tipped off that the Nazis were after him. So he fled Germany to Switzerland. So the Nazis made it a crime to own a copy of All Quiet on the Western Front and Remark's 1931 follow-up novel, The Road Back. All copies had to be turned into the Gestapo or owners would face severe penalties. And have to take the road back. mm, You might not be taking any roads back if you get caught by the (laughs) Gestapo. That road is now your grave. That's not a joke either. That's I know. Yeah. So define define severe penalty for us. Well, it's the Gestapo, so could be anything, right? They operated with no oversight. That's how I like to operate. Yeah, but you're relatively harmless. <laughs> relatively. Relatively. Um, Just my jokes are harmless. <laughs> are not harmless. They're harmful. That is very true. Um, 
Remarque married actress Ilsa Juta Zambona, but the relationship is pretty stormy. They divorced in 1930, but they remarried in 1933 before fleeing to Switzerland to prevent Ilsa from being repatriated into Germany. In Remarque's absence, the Nazis made the false claim that Remarque had not seen active service during World War I. It's called misinformation or disinformation, depending on who you ask. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly. That is allegedly misinformation. This is technically disinformation because it's not somewhat true. It's entirely untrue. Hmm. In 1938, Remarque's German citizenship ended up being revoked as well. Allegedly. (laughs) Skylar, the spreader of misinformation. By allegedly, Skylar (laughs) means most definitely. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Remarque began to fear for his safety in Switzerland as well, and he fled to the United States in 1939. While living in the United States, he was able to continue his writing career, even during the fires of World War II. He'd left behind his family in Germany, who were suffering tragically after the war broke out. His brother-in-law became a prisoner of war. His father's second wife committed suicide. But it was what befell his youngest sister that haunted Remark for the rest of his life. Bad, bad things. In September 1943, Elfrida, a fashionista dressmaker living in Dresden, was turned in by her landlady and arrested by the Gestapo for defeatist talk and subversion of military strength. She was sentenced to death, and on December 12th, Elfrida was beheaded by the guillotine. I just think it's interesting that defeatist talk is what can get you arrested. If you're a pessimist, you're out. Nazi Germany, why are you surprised? (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen Downfall? They talk all about defeat of others. Why can't they talk about defeat of themselves? Because they had to upkeep morale. True, they're not very... They don't tell you what you can't talk about. Though official trial documents were lost in air raids over Dresden, the United States and Great Britain did that, Uh, Hilton Timms, author of Remarque's biography, The Last Romantic, maintains that the judge presiding over Elfrida's case stated, your brother is unfortunately beyond our reach. You, however, will not escape us. Elfrida was I married. I think you should go children. back and say that in a German accent. I think Ooh. you will. I don't know that I can do this. No, I can't do it. I can't do the first part. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that, but that's the hard part. The, that's the hard escape part. This is easier. Your brother is unfortunately beyond our reach. You, however, will not escape us. What was that? Was that it was decent? like I was there. I hope we don't have any Germans <laughs> in our audience. Um, I mean, jokes jokes aside, though, Elfrida was married with two children when she was executed by the Gestapo. In exile, Remark was unaware of his sister's fate until after the war, but he did later reveal that his sister Elfrida was engaging in anti-Nazi resistance movements during the war. So... You know, we like to applaud Elfrida for her patriotic duty. Remark would dedicate his 1952 novel Spark of Life to Elfrida, but in a final twist of the knife, it was omitted in the German version, a snub chalked up to those who saw him as a traitor. Remark would become a naturalized citizen of the United States in 1947, two years after the end of the Second World War. 
After World War II, he settled in Porto Ronco, Switzerland, where he lived with his second wife, the American actress Paulette Goddard, until his death in 1970. Her marketer written 15 novels over the course of his life, along with some other accompanying works, though none of his works shared the same success as All Quiet on the Western Front. A lot of his works were predominantly anti-war novels. He had some other novels in the mix, but I think probably what made All Quiet on the Western Front was so powerful was it was based off of his own experiences. So, you know, even though the book is fictional, you know, a lot of the experiences in there were very much real. They were things that he saw with his own two eyes during the fighting. So let's uh, let's wrap this up here. All Quiet on the Western Front remains recognized by many as the greatest war novel ever written. Time Magazine revered the novel as a warning to the world, stating, All Quiet on the Western Front and the history that surrounds it reminds us of what we risk if we allow democracy to weaken under the pressure of fanatical nationalism. It reminds us what happens if we fail to keep the beast at bay. Today, nationalist movements are again on the rise in Italy, Hungary, France, Germany, Poland, Brazil, Russia, the United States, and many other countries. Remark's work is as relevant today as it was in 1918. Edward Berger, director of the 2022 Netflix adaptation of the book, states, I am from a nation that gave into its most destructive impulses twice in the last century. I know how the story ends. And that is where we end our episode. You know, we hope if you have not had the chance to read the book that maybe now this will um, sway you or pique your interest into reading it because it is a absolutely terrific book. Reading it, you can definitely see why so many authoritarian states saw this book as a risk to their ideology. So, you know, with that, Skylar, why don't you close us out? Okay, that brings us to the end of our episode today. Uh, give us a follow at Finest Hours Podcast on Instagram if you want to make a comment. If you have someone you would like us to look into and do an episode on, find us at finesthourspod at gmail.com. And of course, always follow, leave us review, five star on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are listening. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope to be back with you soon. And until then, Hayden, do we say Auf Wiedersehen? I think we say Arrivederci. Auf Wiedersehen, Arrivederci, and Sayonara. <laughs> <laughs>